or get behind your smartphone and write some tweets and make some videos and just continue fostering um, the, the, the beautiful conversation and dialogue um, that we're having online together. Um, and underlying all of this, I think, is just good old-fashioned human selfishness, self-preservation, pride, which just never makes things work. And before we obviously look at the rest of the world and, and say, yes, the world out there is getting angry, um, let's just be honest, we contribute to it. We contribute to it. Whether you are a, a social media ninja behind your keyboard um, lobbing the e-bombs, um, that might not be you, but we've all played a part in some shape or form. Just Think about your life. Um, was there a moment, even in just a, uh, a conversation with someone, where you should have held your tongue and you just couldn't? <laughs> and you said some stuff and, and, and things went pear in that conversation because of it. And some, some type of strife was introduced into the conversation or <clears throat> the conversation was going at one direction and then it just continued to go in that, that, that south direction because of, of you couldn't hold your tongue. So we're all part of it. Whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, um, no matter what you believe, we're all contributing to this in some shape or form. Um, but as followers of Jesus, which is the majority of us in this room, I'm, I'm sure there are some people who are here exploring and visiting, and that's great. But as Christ followers, we're called to actually push back anger. We're called to be a countercultural force that displaces anger with peace wherever we go. That's who Jesus was. One of his names was the Prince of Peace. And so there's anger that's directed at people, right, in God's world, all over the show. In, in our community, outside of our community, that's just a reality. But also, I would put to you that there is also anger directed at God's word. It's so not just between people in God's world, but also anger at God's word, the scriptures. Have you ever been angry at God's word? You personally, even as a Christ follower, because again, I think this is something that doesn't just affect people who don't know and love Jesus and accept his word as true. It even happens for us in this room. Have you ever had it? I don't know what it might be. Um, you can think of a topic. You can think of a passage that you, that you read. Um, now, whoever you are, Christ follower, non-Christ follower, you might have read it wrong. That's a possible option. And so your anger at God's word is misguided because you haven't understood it correctly. But to be honest, you actually may have read it right and you just really disagree with it and you really don't like what it says. And again, that happens for all of us. This might be the reason, if you're not a Christ follower, that you have not bowed the knee to Jesus and have not considered exploring Christianity or, or, or accepting Jesus and becoming a follower of Jesus. This might be your issue. Might be things in the Bible like sexual ethics, gender dynamics, the wrath and anger of God, the exclusivity or narrow way of Jesus as the only way to the true God. I don't know what your thing might be, but there is anger towards God's word. Here's an invitation today from our text that, we'll, that we'll, we'll get to, and it's from God that every single person in this room right now can apply, and that is to just humbly listen. Just for the next 30 minutes, humbly listen to God's word. Just try to take your preconceived ideas out, whatever it might be, and just receive what God has to say today. Be quick to listen, slow to speak back even in your own mind to what God has to say, and slow to anger as you receive God's word. I don't think it's a particularly um, passage that's going to provoke anger, but I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just trying to put that out there for you. Consider it, whoever you are. Consider what it says. Consider what it means for your life. Engage with it. Continue to ask questions of God to seek understanding of him. So this is where we're going. Um, <coughs> I've called today's message. Drum roll, please. Here it comes. Here it comes. How to bring peace to an angry world. 
how to bring peace to an angry world. So, leading up to our passage in James, we've been tracking for a couple of weeks. Let me just, just jump in here and give you the context. Um, James has been warning against temptation to sin, coming from our own evil desires that, 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 that we then act on. And he's been reminding us, he's been reminding us of the character of God over the last two weeks at least, um, that God doesn't tempt people to sin, but actually God is someone who actually is a giver of good gifts, um, the greatest of which probably is the fact that as Christ follows, you and I have been rescued from Satan, sin, and death. We've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. And this has happened because we've accepted what James calls the word of truth, the good news about Jesus. And we'll unpack some of that stuff even in today's message. But that's where we are in the flow of the letter. So let's read today's passage. <coughs> James 1, 19 to 21. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. His basis for that? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, because of this, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, with humility, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. This is God's word to us right now as we're here. And um, I want to just pull out four things from this passage um, that I think is going to help us um, be able to be people who bring peace into an angry world. Um, and the first is this. If you're a Christ follower um, sitting here today, remember this. First and foremost, you're God's kid. You're God's kid. You're God's child. Where do I get this? Well, first of all, we sung about it, so it's just, a, it's just a general truth anyway, and I'm so glad we sung about our good, good father off the back of last week. But just check in verse 19 there, it just kicks off, and it says, Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. James is using familial language. Now, every time James mentions my brothers, when you, read, when you go read the book of James, he's actually kicking off a new section. It's his way of putting chapter markers in his book. But don't miss this start right now. Don't miss this start before you hear anything else I say. James calls his audience beloved brothers. Beloved. That's us too, okay? We are beloved brothers and sisters to each other. We're part of a family where we all love each other. And he's representing God's heart here for us. He's representing God's heart to God's children. We are beloved children of a good, good father, and we should be those who represent that towards each other, other too in this community. This is what it means to be Christ followers, to represent this to each other. And remember, James <coughs> didn't know personally every recipient of this letter. He didn't, even when he wrote it. He was sending it around the, the known world at the time to the, to the scattered Jewish Christians. And yet, even if he's never met them, he calls them my dear siblings. And that's true today. That's what it means to be a Christ follower, is to have some type of familial spiritual connection with other followers of Christ. I don't know many of you here personally, or some of you here very personally, but you are my beloved brothers and sisters because we have Christ's blood flowing in our veins. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. We're beloved children of a kind father who loves us, who gives us good gifts, and who wants the best for us. And if we, we don't get that right, we won't get anything else right. So start there, start there. Remember you're God's kid. And then, all of us, let's understand what God wants for all of us. Understand what God wants for all of us. Okay? The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
Because that is true, James says, and we'll unpack that later, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. What's James saying here? He says something that might be interesting to some of you, um, especially if you've been a Christ follower for a while, you've been in this church for a while. He speaks about the implanted word here, and he says this, that it's able to save your soul. Interesting. He doesn't say that it has saved your soul. Now, the word soul here, typically in the Bible, majority of the time, is not actually speaking of the immaterial part of yourself, although that is true. You have a physical and immaterial part of yourself. But the word typically refers to the whole person, your soul. The, the Hebrew word nephesh, this is Greek, but the Hebrew word nephesh means the whole person, typically, your whole body. Think SOS, save our souls. Okay, on the Titanic, when that went out, it wasn't just save the immaterial parts of ourselves, the Carpathia or the nearest ship around. No, it was save the whole of us. Get us out of here. Rescue every part of me. So that's what he's talking about with soul here. But why does he say able? Why does he say able? Don't we believe that if someone trusts in Jesus by faith, that they are saved from their sin and they're saved from Satan's sin and death? Don't we believe that? We seem to talk like that quite often here. We often use that as a phrase. If you're a Christ follower, we'd say that you are saved is a word we use. I say that a lot. I say it a lot. The Bible also talks like that a lot. They were saved. But it's not the only way that the Bible talks. The Bible actually talks about tenses of salvation. So it'll talk past tense, present tense, future tense. You go read your New Testament, you'll find it. You were saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. It uses all three at different points in time. And they're referring to distinct things, but they're part of the same package. They're part of the same package. God has a holistic plan of salvation for his people to embrace. Hebrew thinkers would have been e easily able to hold these things together in their minds when they, when they spoke about it. So what I want to briefly do is just get into James's head, get into his framework to explain what he's saying here and what he's motiv motivating us towards. Because if you notice, yes, guys, sorry, sorry. I hope you can hear me. What you notice is that's where he's pushing everything to. That's his, big, that's his big motivation at the end. All of this stuff, because it's able to save your souls. So... <clears throat> this is going to be helpful for those of you who are exploring Jesus, exploring Christianity. You're going to get a crash course in the Bible, the Christian worldview, <clears throat> which is underlying pretty much everything that comes out in James's letter. So here we go. This is the story of the world. God created a good world. He put human beings in it to um, continue to steward that world that he started. He put them in a garden of Eden where his perfect manifest presence was. And humanity was meant to spread out over the whole world, have dominion, multiply across the face of the earth, and take the manifest presence of God, his, his, his good, perfect kingdom rule, where everything is done according to how it should be done, and there's human flourishing across the whole world. And that didn't last long. Adam and Eve... Stuff that up very quickly. They rejected God as sort of a multifaceted rebellion where they said, we do not want you, we do not want your rule. They were deceived by the devil and they were cast out of the garden. And essentially, human beings have continued to multiply, fill the earth, but we have not done it with the manifest presence of God. We haven't lived under the good, righteous, perfect will and rule and reign of God. That's the story of the whole world. And therefore, because of that, humanity themselves, all of us, are under the righteous anger and judgment of God because we rejected our creator and because we perpetrate pain on each other. We hurt each other. And that 
too makes God angry. It's one big, gigantic mess in many ways. And this is what sin is, rejecting God and because of that then hurting each other, creating an angry world. And if we don't get this, we'll, we'll miss everything. This is the absolute root problem with the world's issues in general and specifically around anger. Sin is the problem. This is why there is so much pain in our world. And ultimately, after a failed attempt through the nation of Israel, their fault, not God's, God's plan was to come himself in the person of Jesus, to live the perfect life, to demonstrate the rule and reign of God, what, what human life looks like living under his flourishing word and will by his spirit. He accrued a perfect record before God. He died to take our sin, to, to, to take the punishment for our sin. He rose again, defeating death. And anyone who trusts in Jesus can have new hearts, become a new creation, get the Holy Spirit living inside of them, and start now to live under the rule and reign of God, which is meant to bring about human flourishing. And so if you've trusted in Jesus, you get declared not guilty. There's a, there's a moment. You are not guilty. You are now legally adopted back into God's family. You become a citizen of God's kingdom. It is a, it is a moment that happens. But it's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. Okay? Jesus died not just to forgive people from their sins, to get that done. He is trying to renew and restore the whole world. Every single facet of this creation is meant to come under his rule and reign. And when he rose from the dead, that was step one. That was the beginning of the reboot project, okay? James has already mentioned it. Jesus was the first fruits, and we get to also become a first fruits of this new creation. And when Jesus comes to wrap up this age, when he returns, the fullness of his kingdom is going to break in. The fullness of his kingdom will be here. That's what we're looking forward to. It's going to be a place where the will of God is done. There's not going to be one inch of the cosmos where the will of God is not done. All those who've trusted in Jesus all the way until death get to rise again to eternal life in physical, immortal, glorified bodies in a physical new creation. They will be saved from the grave. They will be saved from the final judgment of God. You hear that future tense there. The defining hallmark, according to the Jewish prophetic literature in the Old Testament, looking forward to this future kingdom age, the defining hallmark, they would probably say, is peace. The Hebrews would say shalom, holistic peace, internally, externally, between God and people, between each other. There will be no more strife. There will be no more anger in this world. So if you're a Christ follower, now you've been set free from slavery to sin, but the fullness, right, of that promised land is still coming, to use Exodus language, okay? We're made right before God legally. One day we will be sinless experientially. I think we all agree we're not there yet, but that's where we're going. But right now, in James's framework, right now, we are in the present. <laughs> Ta-da, nothing mind-blowing there. And God calls us in the present to live increasingly transformed lives for multiple reasons, one of which that it demonstrates on that day when judgment day comes that you really did know Jesus, that you really were transformed by faith, that you really were declared righteous because it will change you. But also you will be resurrected from death to eternal life. 
There's others, and we'll talk about that now, but this is what James has in mind, which is why he calls us to point three, pursue the way of righteousness. Pursue the way of righteousness. So he says this in verse 19. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, because of that, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Now, the righteousness of God here that he's talking about is not what I said earlier, which is the the declaration that you are righteous before God, that you are right before God, that you get from trusting in Christ and having his righteousness become your righteousness, right, before God's eyes. What he's talking about here is the product of that righteousness in our lives. That's why he even uses the word. It doesn't produce the righteousness of God in our lives and the world around us. So James is saying, put to death, put to death sin in your life. Put away rampant, rampant wickedness. Put away um, all that stuff. It's not befitting of who you are. It's not befitting of who you are, Christ follower. You've been set free from that. You've been set free from it. It's not going to produce the kind of life that you can be living. There is a life that God wants for you. Put that to death. You've been born again. The word of God has brought forth in you a new person. You're a new kind of person. You are a new creation, and you're a part of the new creation that is still coming and on its way. And James, remember his whole theme of this book is he doesn't want us to be double-minded, okay? He doesn't want us to think that starting is all that counts rather than finishing. He doesn't want us to think that ignoring the word of God and not actively pursuing the way of God in our lives is going to somehow produce the goodness of God in our lives and the lives of those we encounter. God wants us to hear this, hear this. God wants all of us to receive our final salvation Okay, confirm that our election was true, um, get the resurrection from the dead in Paul's language. But he also wants present salvation in the small little moments and the day-to-day things of life. Present salvation. What do I mean by that? I mean this. And I think James is getting at, James is definitely getting at either the present or the, or the future salvation. That's what he's packaging here. This is what, he, this is what I think he means that we can be set free from the power of sin in our lives at the beginning. We one day will escape the penalty of sin in the future completely, which is the act of judgment of God on that day. But when we do sin in our lives, when we do sin in our lives, there are consequences, okay? Roy shared his story, I think two weeks ago in the morning, he shared it last week with us, and he just spoke about that, that there are consequences to sin in our lives, And that affects the world around us. It affects your family. It affects your friends. It affects your community. And this is what the Bible kind of speaks of as God's passive judgment. He hands us over to these things. We reap what we sow. We get the consequences of our sin and our folly, and God hands us over to them. But God doesn't want us to live like that. He doesn't want us to have to go through that. He wants us to be able to live flourishing lives under his smile and see that work out in our lives. Hear a good father right now saying, I don't want that for you. I love you too much. This is why I've written this through James. This is why it's being preached to you right now. And so then James tells us specifically, when we 
You take the broad thing of putting away sin because of that. Here's a very specific bunch of circumstances right at the top which relate to anger. Be slow to speak, quick to hear others. Let's just speak to that quickly. Um, I think before we're slow to speak to others, we need to be slow to speak to ourselves in our minds about others. Does that make sense? What we end up saying to others typically is a result of what we've said to ourselves about them. Um, and many of us have been in conversations, I've been in one recently, with a friend or a colleague or whatever it is, and you've been in those conversations where you realize one of you or both of you has told themselves a whole bunch of stories. They've been able to join a bunch of dots circumstantially that has um, had confirmation bias, and they have believed something which they then acted on, and it normally, it normally causes some kind of tension, right? We've, we know that. We've experienced that because we've assumed things about the other person. But the problem with assumption... The problem with assumption is you don't have all the facts. You do not have all the facts. You don't get them until you've had a good conversation. And thereby, you're, you're, you're taking a massive risk of telling yourself a lie about the other person, of breaking one of the Ten Commandments, of bearing false testimony about the other person. It's a big, big risk. And then what you'll do after you've told yourself that lie is you will act on it in some shape or form, whether you're just ignoring the person because you hacked off of them or whatever it might be. This is the exact opposite, I think, of what Paul is getting at when he talks about love in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, love bears all things. He says, love believes all things. He's not saying love is gullible. He's saying, love assumes the best of someone until proven otherwise, until you go and actually figure out what, what is going on there, what's wrong in the, in the relationship or the conversation. You believe the best until proven otherwise. And yet, consider the world we live in. And maybe it's not as true for some of you in the morning congregation as it is for the evening. But we literally live in a world where we are increasingly told to box people according to some group identity or group identities and to respond to them and assume things about them based on that. That's literally, that's literally some of the most rampant teaching in the world right now. Okay? We're told to even read the smallest interactions with people assuming that their intentions toward us are possibly bad because of who they are and because we, we are and it's called a microaggression. That's what a microaggression is. Okay, the, the Gallup stats that I read earlier about the increase of anger and the increase of anger, particularly with people below age 30, is because this teaching has been put on campuses worldwide for the last 10 years. And if you were born in the 90s and beyond, you've heard it. Let me say this clearly. We are not going to view people like that in this church. We do not view people based on purely the color of their skin, their gender, whatever it might be. There's so much more to people than that. They are image bearers in God's kingdom, in God's eyes. We're not going to treat people like that. We need to be slow to make assumptions about people until we've gotten to know them and had conversations. So I reckon most of us recognize this in ourselves, so it's got to start there. And then we need to be slow to speak to others, slow to speak to others, and slow to hear them. So very practically, just consider conversations. Now, let's just talk about that for a moment. Um, when there's a disagreement, when there's an argument, or someone might have feedback for you. So it could be a job, um, what do you call it? Uh, not interview. What do you call it? Feedback. A review. review. A review. Thank you, Drew. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, Something that could cause offense in your heart, could lead towards anger in your mind, in your heart, whatever it might be. What we need to do is we need to seek 
clarity, seek to understand, um, and hopefully also humbly receive. And the primary way to do this is to listen well, to listen well to other people. Don't worry too much about doing the speaking in those moments, okay? And I'm growing this, I'm growing in this. Um, I know that um, in conversations, even in, even in elders' meetings, I know that I have a propensity to, to jump in and speak, um, and I haven't even heard the person. And I know that I'm about to do that, because Michelle knows I'm about to do that, when I feel a gentle hand on my knee in a conversation. And that, whatever it might be, whether it's just hanging out with someone, whether it's, whether it's whatever, I feel the hand, and I know, ah, that person's speaking, not you, Kyle. Shut up. <laughs> and it's so good. It's so, so good. Recently, I was on the other side of one of those moments. I was in a, um, the relationship's good, so don't hear what I'm not saying here, but I was in a robust theological discussion with someone um, from another church. We, were having, we, we, we know each other, so we're having a, this discussion. And there was a third party who was nearby who I was taking home afterwards after this, this the round of drinks or whatever, and um, on the way home, he said to me, um, Brew, all I heard from that conversation, to be honest, was at one point, you raising your voice and saying, let me finish, just let me finish. Can I just, that, can I just finish my point? Can I finish my point? Let me finish my point. Ha God was like, here's a mirror. This is what it's like to be you. So I've been on both sides of it. I've been on both sides of it. But if we're going to speak, if we are going to speak, use it as a moment to ask questions to genuinely understand the other person. That's love. That is love. Help me understand. This is a way of loving people. Help me understand. Why do you say that? How have I done that? Why do you, why do you think you, you, you feel like that? If you keep asking the question why about four times, you typically get to the bottom of what someone's trying to say, why they believe it. Whatever the conversation is, even if it's a life group conversation about the Bible, have conversations like this. Help me understand. Let's ask that. Oh, okay. And you get to the bottom of things. Ask it when you read your Bible. Love your ancient authors and seek to understand what they meant when they wrote things, not just assuming what you think the text might say. Ask questions of the scriptures. This is going to typically diffuse most tensions, I reckon. In this community, in conversations we have, uh, it's going to be so helpful because typically so much anger and strife in the world happens because we miss each other, we talk past each other, and we're not realizing that we're actually possibly closer than we thought, but we've just completely lost the plot. You might find that you get to the point of disagreement, you, you get there, and it's much smaller than you first thought, and you might still agree to disagree on that point, but you know exactly what you're disagreeing on and you know why, and you put it into perspective, and it's so, so helpful. And this is why just jumping online is so dangerous and just throwing your words out there and throwing your opinions out there because you literally do not have the time to have the interpersonal conversations and understand people. And that's why I would caution us away from the way we interact online because all we're doing is possibly stirring up more strife in the world. And be slow to anger. Okay, I think what's being referred to here is not just feeling the emotion because that just rises up, but it's what we do with it. It's what we, how we respond to it. <clears throat> to, to help stop the anger feeling inside of us, repeat step one, go have a conversation. Go find out because your anger might be completely misguided. Find out, get to the bottom of the conversation. But when you are angry, I think what James is getting at here is do your best to hold yourself in that moment. Hold yourself. 
especially if you might not have all the facts, okay, because, um, because you haven't had the conversation. Because what happens is anger acts like alcohol. It literally shuts down the front of your brain so you cannot think, you cannot reason properly, and you cannot rationally have a conversation if you just let guys talk about seeing red, you know, like, and, and, and they're unable to process actually what is happening. And what happens? What happens in those moments? Just think of child tantrums or adult fits of rage. What happens? Careless words get spoken, physical violence, whatever it might be, because people cannot think straight, they cannot see beyond the, co- the, the consequences. So in these moments, take a breath, pause, preach to yourself, chat about that now as our last point, and ask yourselves the questions, do I have all the facts, have I had all the conversations, if not, my anger might be entirely unjustified, unjustified in which case I do not want to act on that. We should not act on that. Remember, James said earlier, to give in to anger, to give in to anger is to say yes to a desire inside of you and to be tempted by that desire and to act on it. And what happens then often with anger when we act on it is it results in sin. And as James said, sin is going to lead to death relationally, spiritually, in the world around us. There is a thing called righteous anger. That is a whole other conversation. But... Um, What that is, is when all the facts are in, and someone truly has done something wrong, despicable, whatever it might be, that there might be an appropriate anger that matches what has happened. But even then, the call of Christ in those moments is to pursue justice on behalf of others, not revenge for yourself, and also to be able to meet that situation and that person with mercy and with compassion, which is exactly how Christ has responded to us and exactly what Christ does to us all the time. He responds to us with mercy and compassion, which is the last point. Very, la- very quickly, receive the work of God's word. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. This is the word of truth that James mentioned last week. We looked at it. It's the gospel of Jesus, the good news. If you're a Christ follower, <clears throat> it's already implanted in you. It's in your heart. You believe it. It's taken up residence. But what he's saying is, let the good news of Jesus, James's whole framework underlying this text, let that shape you. Let everything in your heart flow from that. Let it shape your inner world. Let it shape your mind. Let it shape your worldview. Let it shape your heart. Christ's mercy, Christ's compassion towards us through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus is what we need to remind ourselves of at the beginning of every day and also in the heat of the moment, in conversations, whatever they might look like. Remind ourselves of the implanted word. Keep preaching the good news, the gospel of Jesus to ourselves and what that looks like and what that means for our lives, which is all over the Bible. Remember, all of us have made a good, kind, loving, perfect God righteously angry. And yet he upholds his perfect justice, his righteous wrath by punishing sin, dealing with it, either on Jesus, in Jesus on the cross so that by faith he can bestow that righteousness and mercy and kindness and compassion onto us, or for those who do not want to receive Jesus, do not want to accept God's gracious offer 
of forgiveness and his invitation into his new creation, they will pay for it themselves at the judgment seat of Christ when he returns to judge the living and the dead where those who have chosen to reject him are handed over to the consequences of, of their choices. So Christ followers, this is, my, this is my plea, this is what James is getting at here. Let this melt your heart throughout your whole life, but particularly in situations, in conversations, where we need to be slow to speak, quick to listen. Okay? When we think that we are the righteous judge over someone else, okay, remind yourself that we actually have been the guilty person and have been allowed to go free because of someone else's love towards us. That removes us from judging someone else and puts us in a humble position before them. If you're prone to be easily offended in conversations and in life, let this melt your heart that you have offended an infinitely greater being than you, and yet he responded in love by dying for you. Let that again put you in a humble position to not think that you are so great and this person has offended you, but to receive what they might have to say to you. Let these truths humble us before others. If we want to bring peace to an angry world, which is our mandate, as Christ follows, we have been sent as ambassadors of the Prince of Peace. If we want to do that, it's got to start here, and it's got to start here. That's James's message. That's James's message. And if you are someone who came here today, you're not a Christ follower, you've been hearing what I've said, you've been hearing the invitation of God to you, I want to pop the invitation to you now just in a short phrase which comes from not James but the Apostle Paul. And I say this on behalf of all the Christ followers in the room. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You can become the righteousness of God, saved from your sin, restored to a relationship with him, and have a hope and a future in the new creation. If you recognize your sin, recognize your rejection of God, and believe in Christ to take care of your sin and welcome you home into God's family and make you a new creation. Could I ask everyone to close their eyes? Um, I'd love to just pray for us before Greg comes up to um, lead us in one final song. Is there anyone here who you came in today, I'm just going to throw out an invitation, you came in today, you weren't a Christ follower, or you thought you were a Christ follower, you've been coming to church for years, not recognizing that to be a Christ follower means to receive Jesus' atoning death on your behalf and, and begin a new transformed life, living in the Spirit. If, if, if you're here today and you, you realize now nah, you need to do that, I want to just ask you to be brave, put up your hand. If there's no one, that's fine. But if there is anyone, I'm just going to create a gap. Pop up your hand now. I would love to guide you through a prayer and, um, and take you through that. It's no problem if there's no hands. Great. If there's, if, there's, if there's no one, that's not a problem at all. I'm going to pray for Christ followers now. Father, we thank you so much for this word. We thank you so much for your heart for us, God, that you care for us, that you actually want to see um, not just people come home to you and be declared not guilty of their sin. Not only do you want to see us resurrected on the last day and 
and, and be declared guilty at that final judgment. But even in our lives right now, God, you want the experience of the kingdom in our lives. You want freedom. You want flourishing. God, we, we want to accept your heart for us, God, and we want to ask you right now to help us to let the good news of Jesus shape our inner world, to humble us, to make us people who are slow to speak and quick to listen, slow to anger. Help us to be people who live out who we truly are, people who've been set free from the power and penalty of sin, people who are deeply loved by the Father, God, people who have a hope and a future, people who have been commissioned to be peacemakers in this world. Father, come and work in our hearts deeply. Help us be people who think through what this means for our lives, to in moments be able to obey you because of our faith in you. And we know that what you have said is good. And so we will do it, even in the times where it's hard or we don't feel like doing it. We act in faith. And we bring flourishing to the world around us. Thank you for this time. And God, we come before you now to sing one final song of worship and praise to fill our minds, to fill our hearts with the person and work of Jesus and the mighty, powerful sovereignty of God who knows all and sees all and whose majesty is enough to fill our souls. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. As we uh, stand to sing, um, if anyone does feel like they would like to be prayed for in this area, if something that Kyle has said feels like it's touched uh, something in your heart and God's speaking to you, please come forward and we'd love to pray with you um, while we sing. But let's sing together. You were the word at the beginning. One with God, the Lord Most High.